0: Hey, good morning, guys. <clears throat> um, so, 20 years ago, I was a very different person than I am right now. And I got to thinking about that. I was preparing for this message for reasons that will become clear as we get into this. But I thought, I hadn't thought about this in a while. And I thought about a lot of the things that I did. And I thought about how I saw the world and how I thought about the world and the things that I said. And it felt like I was thinking about what some other person had done because so much has changed in my life in the last 20 years and, it, and more importantly so much has changed in my own mind and in my own heart that it really does feel like I was almost a completely different person. Now there's a lot of stuff that rose up that I could share with you and I always want to be cautious about this because when people share testimonies sometimes there's almost like this kind of uh, swagger about the bad things that they did or whatever and I'm not particularly proud of it, any of it, nor do I think it's very special, because I've met people who have come to faith in Jesus, who have done some serious, serious, serious things. So, but I'll, the one thing that rose up that I'll share with you, because it just seems so foreign to anything that I would be a part of now, is a buddy of mine <clears throat> trafficked a quantity of marijuana across straight, state lines when I was a younger man. And now, it was just marijuana, it wasn't like narcotics, but it was a quantity, a, a felony-sized quantity of marijuana, and it was across state lines. So actually, when I was prepping this message, I was like, I better Google the Statue of Limitations on this before I share this. <laughs> Turns out, we're good. Um, it was 1,000 years ago, um, and it was his idea, and I thought it was basil, so whatever, it's uh, fine. <laughs> but I look back on that now, and I'm like, how stupid could you, how dumb were we? For like pennies we were offered, we took all that risk to move those drugs across state line, all that risk. How stupid could we be? And now I'm also like, if I wanted to get a gig like that now, I don't even know who to begin calling. I don't, I don't have any favorites in my phone that I could, I just don't, I don't even know, I'm just so disconnected from that life. It really feels like I'm talking to a different person. Now, I don't judge that young man. I, I actually feel a lot of compassion and, and um, love towards that that young man. I do sometimes wish I could go back and shake him a little bit and smack him around, um, but I, I feel a lot of love towards that young man. But I also just kind of don't really understand him um, because some of the most profound changes are changes that you can't see—the things that have happened on the inside. But I think that cuts both ways, though. I think if you could go back in a time machine and grab him and, and bring him to the future and and have him watch a YouTube clip of me up here speaking in a church. No, first thing I think the young version of me would be like, "Wait, what's YouTube?" Um, but then I think he would be like, "Nah, you use some kind of special effects. That's what they called CGI 20 years ago. You use some kind of special effects to put my face on that. That's not no. There's no. He would not have been able to understand the things that I care about in the life that I live, and the things that I say, and the things that I feel. It's like it's almost like we're completely different." Now, it didn't just happen all of a sudden, the road has been winding and lots of ups and downs. And if you caught me on certain days, you'd be like, you haven't changed. And if you caught me on other days, you'd be like, whoa, who is this person? But there was, I think I can kind of pinpoint a moment where I turned a corner that I've never gone back around. And it actually happened in a bathtub, in a bathroom surrounded by people, which sounds crazy. Let me explain. Um, So I went to the only church I'd really ever gone to. Uh, Aside from like weddings and funerals and stuff. And the pastor was preaching out of Acts chapter 8. And in that chapter, there's a man from Ethiopia who comes to believe in Jesus. And they pass water on the side of the road. And he says, Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he's baptized right then and there. And I've always kind of admired people who walk their talk. And I had come to a place recently where I was really believing Jesus was who he claimed to be. It started by asking some hard questions about life and about myself, and then I started reading the Bible on my own and read through the Bible, and, and then I, I read some apologetics books, and I had started to pray experimentally, and I would got to the point where I felt like I'd gone as far as I could go on my own, and I needed some help, and so I went to the only church I knew, and then the pastor preached out of Acts chapter 8, and there was baptism, and I was like, I had this stirring that, okay, that's the next thing, so I went up to him at the end of the service, and I said, I think I need to be baptized. Well, at that time, the church was renovating the sanctuary, and their baptistry was out of commission. They were completely rebuilding it, but they made, you know, arrangements. There was this hipster couple in the church that had purchased a chapel downtown and had renovated it into this cool house, and where the baptistry had once been in that chapel, they had made this really fancy bathroom with a big hot tub, right, where that bathroom had once been, so... They were willing for us to go down there, and so we had the most awkward baptismal service in the history of church with my parents and my then-girlfriend, Lindsay, and we all crowded in the bathroom, and this, this intern, buddy named Chris, this cool guy, but the intern like, said a prayer and said a little thing, and I was baptized in this tub. Um, I was going to find a picture of it, and then I was like, I couldn't find one right away, and I don't really want to show you anyway, so I was like, I'm not going to look that hard for that, so um, <laughs> I've changed a little in, in the last 20 years. Um, but then things started to like really change, like about two weeks after that, I got it in my head that I should get rid of all the weed that I had in, in, in the apartment. And, um, I flushed, I flushed about a half an ounce down the toilet, which for me was a very big deal, deal then. It was only 60 bucks back then. Don't laugh too hard if you, cause then people are going to know your past, but like it was only <laughs> half an ounce, but for me, I was making about 200 bucks a week at Papa John's. So that was a big deal. And, uh. I I flushed it down the toilet, ran a bath instead, and about 10 minutes later, I was flooded with this warm, tingling presence, and I I started to laugh out loud in my apartment, and I said out loud to my empty apartment, this is you, isn't it? This is you. And then, not long after that, Lindsay and I started to feel like we needed to stop having sex. And... um, (laughs) not an easy decision to make (laughs) some heated conversations in our relationship and uh even more difficult to maintain for the three and a half years it took us to get our stuff together to get married but now we've been married for 15 years so we've uh we've made up for lost time and now my um now my whole, I'm like, gosh, we got to stop having kids. I just can't. I have, I have three boys now, so the whole thing is flipped. But there are some notable, like if you knew me, and there are people that did know me, they were like, what's wrong with you? You know, like my best buddy that I got high with all the time, we had to stop hanging out. It was like, you, there was outside changes that, depending on who you were and what you saw, would have seemed impressive to you or weird to you. But for me, the really profound changes are things that you guys can't see because it's not that special or miraculous that sometimes I do the right thing because anybody with a little bit of willpower can do the right thing sometimes. The thing that's really miraculous to me is that sometimes I want to do the right thing and sometimes I enjoy doing the right thing and you would have to be inside my life to know what a miracle that is. It's like my own private miracle with God for me to know how strange that is. It's, it's as if I'm a totally different person. And the only word I think that captures what, how profound the transformation is, is a, a word like uh, a rebirth. It's like a rebirth. And that is the phrase, the word, the way that Jesus described this spiritual transformation that we must undergo. And we're going to look at the passage in John, we're, we're working our way through the Gospel of John, where he uses that phrase. And so I want to look at it today because I want to try to recapture some of the original impact and beauty of this very strange phrase that Jesus used. So this is John, we're into John chapter 3 now. And it opens, uh, kind of setting the scene in verses 1 and 2. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, said, master, teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now, uh, last week, Jordan um, Introduced this passage and really zeroed in on that word Pharisee. And if you did not, if you haven't heard that message, it's really worth going to the podcast to listen to, because Pharisee is one of those words that over time has kind of lost its meaning for us a little bit. Like we now read Pharisee and we think those were the bad guys, but in in that day, the Pharisees were the upstanding members of the community. They were the well-respected moral members of the community. And the spirit of Pharisaism, we could fall victim to it today just as well. So it's really worth listening to that podcast. But this man, Nicodemus, he's a community leader. He's a moral man. He's an upstanding man in the religious community. And he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he has some authority, some competence, some power. He's a big deal. And he comes to Jesus, but he's starting to believe something about Jesus because he says to Jesus, we know that you must be from God because nobody could do the things that you're doing if they weren't from God. But he's not all in yet. He doesn't completely believe Jesus is who he's claiming to be because the passage very specifically mentions that he comes to him at night. So he's still holding some stuff back. He's still protecting his reputation. He's still protecting his position, which, and no wonder, I'm not judging him. Uh, we all do that. No wonder he had, this man had a lot to lose. And, and who is this guy? This carpenter from nowhere, like, who, who is this guy? But there's something going on here. He doesn't fully believe who Jesus is, but he knows there's something going on here. And he comes to him and he says, good you. we you, we know you come from God because of these signs. And then Jesus says something very strange. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, I actually think that Jesus is kind of like, well, almost paying the guy a compliment a little bit, or he's kind of saying like, here's what's happening to you. Because Nicodemus comes to him and says, we know you must come from God because no one could do these signs if you didn't. And Jesus says, well, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So he's saying something's happening to this man, Nicodemus. We want to put Nicodemus in the bad guy category, but that's not how Jesus treats him here. Um, So Jesus is like something that happens. Now, Nicodemus doesn't really, either he doesn't get the metaphor or he disagrees with it. Now, a lot of times people read it like he doesn't get the metaphor. And if that were the case, I mean, who could blame him? We have all benefited from 2,000 years of church history and, and commentary on this. So if Jesus said, you've got to be born again, and Nicodemus didn't get that immediately, like, we have the benefit of hindsight. That would be like if you came up to Jesus and he was just like, you got to start talking with your ears. <laughs> and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Wait. What? That that's kind of what happened here. It's like, wait, what? But how can you do that?" I actually think that Nicodemus totally understood his metaphor. This is a very intelligent man. This is an educated man. I think Jesus I think Nicodemus was like, "Okay, I get you're saying you have to start over totally fresh." You can't build on what's already there. You have to tear it down and start over again. And he takes Jesus' metaphor and plays off of it and says, okay, well, let's push that metaphor to the ultimate conclusion. It doesn't work, Jesus. How could you be, how could you, okay, you have to be born again. How can you do that? How can you start all over? How could you ever get rid of everything that's gone before and start off fresh? So he's still sort of talking to Jesus like we're peers. Like I'm a teacher of the law and you're a teacher of the law and we're reasoning this out. And then Jesus responds, uh, well, actually, before I do that, let me just pause to talk about that phrase, born again, because like Pharisee and like some other words, that phrase, I think, has lost its meaning, and it's kind of taken on kind of an old-timey, tent revival, uh, churchy-type connotation in our day-to-day, and I want to try to recapture what Jesus actually said and what he meant when he said that phrase. So, this happens to language. You've all noticed that this happens to language. I'll give you two modern-day examples. Um, this is going a ways back because we've lived in the city for a while now, but when I first moved to New York City, before I moved here, the word gourmet actually meant something to me. And now, I mean, there's a gourmet deli that I go to on the regular, and I'm not, I have no problem with it. It's great, but but here gourmet basically means regular. That's what, because my gourmet deli is just a regular deli. That's all it is. And this is another one. Um, so... My first job when I was a teenager was I worked as a laborer for a company that was rehabilitating historic buildings downtown and and turning them into these fancy like loft apartments or whatever. And uh, the term gut renovated means something in construction. Gut renovated means you have torn it all the way down to the guts, the studs, and the joists, and then did everything else new. So There's new HVAC, there's new electricity, there's new plumbing, there's new outlets, there's new drywall, there's new windows, there's new trim, there's new woodwork, there's new ceilings hung, new floors put down. Everything's new, that's what gut renovated means. I have been on a few apartment searches in New York City and read a few Craigslist ads. And that's not what gut renovated always means here. Here, gut renovated basically means we painted. We painted it white. We just rolled over all the outlets with paint. There's even some paint on the floor. Gut renovated. So if you let words sit in the language, they change. And even if you look at the history of language, languages change. I mean, English is about 500 years old as we know it. So the words shift and morph and whole languages come into being. So language shifts. And it certainly happened with the term born again. Well, I asked... Lindsay, my wife, what is that? what do you think of when you hear, you hear born again? And she thinks of something that I don't think of. So this was really interesting to me. She's like, when I hear born again, I think of someone who was a Christian or who was brought up in the church, and then they went kind of wild, and then they came back to it. They're born again. And I was like, oh, interesting. I could see where people would think that. Me, when I hear the term born again, I think like super Christian. I think a born again Christian is like extra Christian. There are those... They're those Christians that you can't, you can't even really have a conversation about football because they're going to like bring that back around to personal evangelism in just a second. It's like you, you're not just a Christian, you're like a real extra Christian. I have heard people use the phrase as like a type of Christian. So you'll hear people say like you got Catholics, you got Baptists, you got born again Christians. Like it's another, another type of Christian. So what does this phrase mean? When Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven... We might not have to go farther than the footnote in your Bible, because you you probably have a footnote in that phrase in your Bible, and if you read down at the bottom, it says something like the Greek phrase there could also be translated as born from above. And for some reason, the translation born again caught in our language, and so it's kind of become weird, but that may be enough. If we just substituted born from above, that might be enough to be like, hmm, What what is Jesus saying here? What does that mean? You must be born from above in order to see the kingdom of heaven. Uh, So, and Nicodemus is uh, equally interested in this. He says, well, how? You can't enter again into your mother's womb. He challenges the metaphor. And then Jesus in verse 5 says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, meaning the, the natural world gives birth to the natural world but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now, that phrase right there, that nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit, it's kind of a problematic phrase because it has troubled theologians for centuries. And um, I'm sorry to say I cannot, I can't break it down for you and tell you exactly what it means because I went on a dive and there are different interpretations, all of which to me seem to have some merit. So some people think that Jesus uh, was referring to your physical birth and your spiritual birth. So born of water is a metaphor for the release of the amniotic fluid when you're born. And I have witnessed some births and you could say that baby was born of water when that happened. And that kind of makes sense in the passage because a moment later, Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So he could, he could have been saying that. Some people think that he was referring to John the Baptist's baptism. Um, because And John the Baptist said I have come baptizing in water, but one is coming after me who will baptize with the Spirit. So that kind of makes sense. John the Baptist's baptism was a cleansing of all that had come before, making a way ready for the Lord to come in. Some people think that this refers to Christian uh, baptism, that you have to be born of water and born of the Spirit. And, And I think that could kind of make sense because later in this chapter, Jesus and his disciples go out baptizing. And so that kind of makes sense. Some people are very uncomfortable with that notion because it sort of seems like, wait, is he saying you have to be baptized in order to be saved? And then isn't that like a work of righteousness? And aren't we saved by grace alone and by nothing that we do? And they take it more metaphorical of this is you have to be um, purified by God as, as you would be purified with water. And there are some really interesting Old Testament passages. One in Ezekiel in particular that we don't have time to look at but that says you have to be purified as with water and God will give you a new spirit in the same passage. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, a religious man, a a Jewish religious teacher who would have known the scripture. And so it makes a lot of sense that Jesus would have referenced Old Testament passages, which at that time wasn't the Old Testament, it was the Testament. And he would just (laughs) reference those passages to this teacher. Me, personally, I tend to read it as baptism. That The first time I read it and the way that it strikes me is it's talking about baptism, although I understand the discomfort that that can cause, because people start to ask these questions of like, well, wait a second, I thought you were just, baptism isn't something you do, you can't earn salvation, it's just faith in Jesus, and what happens if you can't be baptized or you never learned about baptism, or are you saying God can't save somebody if they don't get baptized? And Of course not. I mean, all things are possible to God. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying what Jesus said, and it's a confusing thing that theologians have not been able to get a accord behind because whatever Jesus is saying, I think it's a little bit more than we can grasp, and that makes people very uncomfortable. But I, I kind of think that maybe Jesus was saying all of those things, and then a couple other things we haven't figured out yet. And the reason I say that is because if Jesus really is God, transcendent, the ground of all being, never-ending, infinite, knows all things, created all things... He knows things that we're not even capable of understanding, and He certainly knows things that you can't fully express in the limitations of human language. And those of you that are bilingual, you know this in a way that I can't even really know, because if you know two languages, you know there are things that you can't really say in the one language. You can't really say it as good as you could in the other language, and this wasn't even said in in English, it was said in Greek, and it's been translated into English, so it's possible. I, I don't think Jesus was being coy. I don't think He was obscuring the truth, um, although I could imagine him doing that if it would benefit us, but I don't think he was. I think he was given it the best he could possibly explain it within the limitations of how we can communicate with each other and understand each other, and it's the sort of thing that gets you talking for centuries, and, and I understand that the, still now, 2,000 years later, you know, some things he said were very simple, but he said some stuff, man, and, and I guess what I want to say about that is that that makes you uncomfortable then you are feeling the same discomfort that I think Nicodemus was feeling when he talked to Jesus. Because Jesus was very artfully moving Nicodemus from, you can see that something's going on here, to you're kind of talking to me like we're peers, we're both teachers of the law, that this is an opinion to be weighed. But I need to move you to like, my opinion is not just another one to be thrown on the heap. I'm talking about stuff that you can never know. You don't understand who and what I am. And as much as you know, Nicodemus, and as much as you may know, going to church your whole life, Sunday school, whatever, as much as you know, you're still just like a baby compared to me because Jesus is the birthless and deathless Son of God. And Nicodemus is just starting out talking to Jesus. And if your requirement for God is that I'm able to articulate and tie up in a nice little bow everything that Jesus said, Good luck with your itty-bitty God because I'm not that big and I can't do it. And Jesus said some things that were, Jesus said, be perfect. Did he mean you can never make a mistake? I mean, come on, this is Jesus. He said some wild stuff. Jesus said some big things. It's not for us to try to cram it down into my tiny little mind. It's for me to trust and follow that he knows things that I don't know and can't know. And this is, what, this is the profound shift that Jesus is trying to make happen even in this man's life. So Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you can't enter unless you're born of the water and spirit. And Nicodemus says in verse 9, how can this be? I read in that question a slight shift in tone. Before it was I'm coming to you at night. I know something is special going on in here. Can you explain it to me? And Jesus answers him, and he says, okay, let's do this. Let's have a little theological debate. How can you be re-entered in your... And then Jesus says something crazy. You have to be born of water and spirit. And now Nicodemus is sort of taken... He's back on his heels a little bit. He doesn't kind of come back and work with the analogy. He just says, okay, how can this be? The question is a little bit more childlike. And Jesus kind of puts him in his place. Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things? I will speak from personal experience. Sometimes Jesus puts you in your place. And you know what? Sometimes the best thing you can do for somebody is put them in their place. Sometimes you got to put them in the, Sometimes you've got to put the young bucks in their place. I'm just going to say that. The, and this guy, as old as Nicodemus was, to Jesus, he was a young buck. A couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, we um uh, I teach 5th grade math for my full-time job and we took our all of our 5th graders to a um field trip to this farm in Queens where you can like pick pumpkins and milk a cow and that was worth the trip right there watching these kids milk that cow that was amazing. Um but the charter bus arrived an hour after we wanted them to and so at the end of the day we had to kill an hour in a gravel parking lot with 90 10-year-olds and that's that's as hard as it sounds. I'll just put, put, it, put it that way. So anyway, me and the teachers, we had the idea, like, let's organize some foot races. Well, let's get them running. We'll just run them for an hour. And um, so I, I, I picked a tree real far away. And a little pole down there, we're like, who wants to race? Who thinks they're fast? You're not fast. Who's fast? Who's fast? Are the boys fast? Are the girls fast? You got all this psychological warfare. Get them super hyped. And um, okay, so when we started organizing heats, like lined up like 10 boys, you got to run all the way out there, touch that pole, turn around and run back. Whoever gets here first wins. No prize, just you win. And um, so boom, run, boys, a girls heat, co-ed heat, boys, then a bunch, then guys that are halfway up, they just turn around and run the next race back because they don't know what's going on. There was a kid who was on his inhaler in between heats. He's a very athletic kid, but he ran like three heats and then he was like on his inhaler. And I was like, dude, you need to sit down because I'm not losing a child on this trip. But over the course of this hour, the kids start, you know, they started off light like, Mr. Travis, when are you going to run with us? And I was like, I'm grown. I don't run. <laughs> You think I went to college to run? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, but they kept at me. Like, when are you going to run? And then they started, like, talking trash. Like, you're scared. You know you're not going to be faster than whatever this kid is or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, wait a second. All right. Somebody hold my reading glasses because we're going to not, not doing that. I ran track in high school, so if I need to for one time, I can, I can, I can put somebody in their place. Plus my, six, my legs, six foot tall, these 10-year-olds, phew, I destroyed those kids. <laughs> we gravel hitting them in the face. I mean, I, I felt my heels coming up the back of my head. I just ran all the way down there, touched that pole. I turned around. They hadn't even made it. I like halfway back, I was like high five at them when I ran back. I turned around backwards and ran the last 20 feet, like <laughs> And then they, they came back and they were like, "Let's go again, let's go again." And I was like. No, it's, it's, a one, it's a one-time thing. I mean, I, I'm not doing it again, and I kind, of, I kind of still feel it, actually. It was like a week later. But, but they need to be put in their place, and that's kind of what Jesus does right here. He's, <laughs> the, the, he's like, okay, I, I put up, you, you want to come back and forth with me, and you're a big deal and whatever, but very truly, I tell you, we speak, this is verse 11, we speak what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Saying, look, this is not just another opinion for you to weigh. I'm not, the things that you are trying to imagine and trying to believe, I've seen them. I made them. I just came from there this shouldn't really be a conversation like this. You should be just saying, teach me. What do I do? Now, I don't think that Jesus was trying to like smack this guy down. I actually think he was trying to open him up. And I think he did. I think he opened this guy up. But what Jesus is trying to bring him to is, you've got to trust me. You've got to believe in me. And I say that in part because that's where this whole passage is leading. We're we're not going to get into this until next week, but the passage next week, we're going to see the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believed in him will not die, but will have eternal life. The whole thing Jesus is trying to push Nicodemus and us witnessing the conversation towards is belief in Jesus. Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is he who he claimed to be? And he's trying to push us farther than, you know, Jesus was a really deep dude, man. He had some important things to say. And even farther than where Nicodemus was of there's something God, he's from God. There's something divine about. He's trying to push it even farther than that, that I am God. I am the incarnation of the everlasting spirit made human right here in front of you, the only begotten Son of God. And it is that faith that Jesus is God. I think it is that faith that sparks this internal change that can only be described as being born again or being born from above. Because if you believe that Jesus is God, then you also start to believe that then God is like Jesus. And if God is like Jesus, He's trustworthy. You can trust Him. Because if God is like Jesus, think about what that means. Think about what it means if God is like Jesus. That means God, the transcendent one that's beyond you, that's always existed, that's ever-present, that's everywhere, that knows all things, that God. He's not far away. He's right there with you. If God is like Jesus, He's like, I'm right there with you. I'm right next to you. I've come into your space. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I'm not far away. And that means that God does not condemn you. He does not. In fact, God would give anything, has given everything. Not only would God himself give his own life, but God would give the life of his only begotten beloved son for you. There's nothing else God can give. He's given everything to have you. So, so far beyond having forgiven you, so far beyond. Jesus doesn't even think that way. He's like, I've removed your sin from you for, as far as the east is from the west you you're walking around carrying around all this baggage that i I've, I've taken care of if you trust me if you believe not only that i'm god but that god is like me that changes things it also though means that he he might push you a little bit cuz jesus definitely pushes people he might challenge you he might even put you in your place a little bit, and it's certainly going to ask you to follow him through things that are scary and maybe even dangerous and maybe even painful and and things that you won't understand, things that you can't do yourself, that you need him in order to even do. If God is like Jesus, then maybe God, life, is going to ask those uh, things of you. But if God is like Jesus, that means that he has given his life for you. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you, and he is trustworthy. And I think that trust is probably our best modern-day word that we could substitute for faith or belief. That if you say, I believe in Jesus, that's I trust Jesus. I have faith in Jesus, I trust Jesus. And that kind of trust of like, okay, I'm going to listen to what you have to say, and I'm going to follow you where you have to lead, and you know better than I know, that kind of trust has the power to spark this profound interchange that could only be described as a rebirth. It's that kind of trust that can uh, help you to start shifting from a, a, a this life perspective to an eternal perspective, from a perspective of basically I was born to die, to Jesus is the way, the way. No one comes to the Father except through Christ, so God is like Jesus, so if I come to God, I come to Him through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life so I wasn't born to die, I was born to be reborn and to, to live forever. It changes your perspective from this temporary to the eternal. And, and it, it changes you from, okay, when I, when there's something that I don't get or that I don't agree with, it changes you from, okay, that can't be right, to I must be wrong. Or, or maybe I don't fully understand this yet. Or when life is difficult or, and it's hard, it, it changes you from this is clearly unfair to... I trust that God knows what he 's doing, and He is giving me what I need to acquit myself in this situation the way that He wants me to acquit myself and It starts to move you from what can I get out of life to what can I give to life and and, and um, who loves me to who can I love and it just it, 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 there 's this profound interchange that all comes back to coming to God through Jesus, trusting that Jesus is God and that God is like jesus so what I what I think we should do in response to this passage is I think we should really ask ourselves honestly, what do I believe about Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus is God, not just a, a, a amazing teacher and not just a deep spiritual person, but the creator of the universe come down in human flesh? Do I really believe that? And if you do, if you really believe that, or or um, um, you're trying to believe it, because. I don't want you to mistakenly think that that means you never doubt. Faith is not opposed to doubt. Doubt is a part of faith. The whole relationship is a wrestling match. In fact, Israel is called the he who wrestles with God. The people of God are those who wrestle with God. So it doesn't mean you never doubt, but do you believe that? Have you decided to believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, then I think the challenge for us is to add the other half of that on. Well, if Jesus is God, then God is like Jesus. And let that work itself out through every aspect of your life, through the way that you think, the way that you feel, the attitude you choose to have, the expectations you have for the day, the way that you see other people, the way that you speak, and the way that you treat other people. Let it work itself out in how you talk to God. Just take a moment before you talk to this this invisible God that we can't fully know or can't fully see to say, if I've seen the, the Son, then I've seen the Father. I know what you're like to some degree, to the degree that I'm able and, and talk to him as if he's like Jesus. It will change the way that you talk to him. It will change the way that you forgive yourself. You know, we carry stuff around that Jesus does not carry around for us. You know, Jesus paid the price. He set that aside. He doesn't even see you that way. He's not looking at you that way. But I keep bringing it back up in my mind. I can't let it go for myself. I'm dragging it along with me into the future. But if, if God is like Jesus, then I got I to gotta let that stuff go. I can't beat my can't keep beating myself up for stuff that Jesus beat himself up for and put it away, and now it's done. I can't do that I have to if God is like Jesus, I got to let that work out into how I treat my own mistakes and failures and say that I did the best that I could, and even if I didn't, Jesus' blood covers that, and I'm certainly not going to bring that with me along into the future, so I am going to let that go. Let that work out into every aspect of your life now, if you ask yourself that question and you think no, I, I don't know if I believe that or I don't believe that or once upon a time I believed that but things have changed and I'm not sure I really believe that yet, then here's my backup question. Are you open to believing it if it's true? Right. Meaning, like just play hypothetically. Hypothetically, let's say that Jesus really is God and God is like Jesus and that's true. Would you be open to finding that out if that were true? If not, if you're like, I already know there's no way that's true. I know it's true. Then, I honestly, I wish you nothing but the best. You you got it. You know you know what you think. If you are at all open to the possibility that it's true, however you feel about it, then this is what I recommend. I recommend you go on the great experiment. That's that's what I call this. It's something that I did. I didn't really know that I was doing it, but. When I was first starting to believe this, I started to pray experimentally. I, I wouldn't have called it prayer, but what here was my thinking. I thought, okay, if God exists, and if He's all-powerful, and if He cares about what I think about Him, then I could talk to Him and reasonably expect Him to respond to me. Now, you've got to start with that, you know? It's only, you have to start somewhere. So you have to start with that, and just hypothetically, not that I believe this, but hypothetically, if He exists, and He's all-powerful, and He cares so he can do anything and he cares about what I think, then I could talk to him and he can hear me because he's all-powerful and he exists and he would respond. And I just experimented with it. The prayer that I prayed was, okay, God, if if you exist and you're all-powerful and you care what I think, give me faith. Give it your best shot. And there was even a little bit of a try it, you know, give me faith. And I think that's enough. If you mean it just a little bit, I think that's enough. God knows what he's doing. Um, But if you actually, maybe your prayer sounds a little bit different than that, but if you actually pray that way, hold on to your socks because you have no idea what he might do in your life. You really don't. But that's the catch. The catch is you don't get to tell God how to respond to your prayers because if, if Jesus is God, then he's God. And he actually knows what you need. You might think, what I need from you is a sign that looks like this. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. You don't even know what you need. That's not what you need. That wouldn't help you. It would hurt you. If he's God and I'm not God, then Jesus actually knows what I need more than I do. And so if you pray a prayer like that and then take what comes experimentally, just sort of like as an adventure, and say, well, if that was God's response to my prayer, what would that mean? And I can't tell you, what, I can't tell you what he'll do. He might, um, he might put you in your place a little bit, um, and that's not always fun. Um, uh, I think he only does that out of love because he knows that's what we need right there, but he might, you know. Uh, You might have a feeling inside um, that you know is there, that you could ignore if you chose to, but you know it's there. Uh, A feeling that there's something, some step, that you need to start reading the Bible, or or there's a trusted friend you should talk to, or there's some step that you need to take. And you could either say, okay, well, if God is all-powerful, and he exists, and he cares what I think, and I asked him, and then this, I'm having this feeling, you could say, like, okay, let me try this experiment and see what happens. Or you could say, like, no way, God doesn't exist, and just erase the assumptions that you started with. Or you could try the great experiment and see what happens. And um, I don't know exactly what will happen for you, but I'll I'll just tell you what has happened for me, because I think maybe it will happen. If it happens for you too, this is what will happen. You will become you. Because When I look back on that young man that I was 20 years ago, that wasn't me. It's not like God changed me into a different person. I was the different person. And I'm not completely changed. Like, that guy is still in me now. He's just not in charge anymore. And the person that I am now, the person that I'm becoming, has been there all along. He He was closer to the surface when I was like three years old. And I used to dream about the things that I wanted to do with my life. But then I thought I knew who I wanted to be. And that led where it led. But God didn't come in to change me in a different person. He, he came in to make me more myself. And for whatever it's worth to you, I have never in all my life been more comfortable in my own life than I am now. I have, I have never been before been more at ease about who I am and what the future holds. I have never been before been clearer about what I'm supposed to be doing with this life here on earth. And even though Scripture does not promise this, and I have had some... Terrible days with God, and still sometimes have awful days. Generally, I'm happier than I've ever been before in my life. And I have the feeling that I'm really only just getting started. And I think, I have this feeling that I think even when I come to the day of my death, I'll feel like I'm really only just getting started with this. And so, may you enter into this roller coaster adventure of following Jesus. May you believe that Jesus is God and that God is like Jesus. May each and every one of you be born from above. May you be born again. Amen.